Amen. Hey, once again, we are in our study, World Religions, Cults, and the Occult. And as you can see there, we are in the final section, Voodoo, Vampires, and the Rise of Demon Worship. After 20 weeks of witchcraft, 16 weeks of Satanism, who's counting? I am. And the never-ending study that we're currently on, once again, on this. But we've already seen, by way of uh, recap, the existence of demons. They are real. we also seen that they got a demonic character like Satan, evil. And we took a look at the tactics. God tells us, okay, how they're going to come against us. Aren't you glad he did that? And he didn't say, hey, just hope to see you later. Hope you do well down there. No, he tells us how to deal with it. Praise God. Also, we begin to see the history. Well, how in the world did we get in this mess? It was bad enough with witchcraft and Satanism, but now this spiritualism, people seeking input, not from God, not from the Bible, right? Uh, but from, from demons, actual demons interact. Whoa. And so we took a look at the history of how that's happening, not just in the world, but even in the church. Okay, as crazy as that is. And then we begin to see, well, Satan has now branched it off into many different ways, schnookering people into basically seeking input and direction from demons, including full-on demon possession, acting like that's a good thing. The first one we saw, of course, was voodoo. And then the last several times we've been seeing, the next one is shamanism. Shamanism is basically the what I call the indigenous version of voodoo. Lots of similarities. Why? Because they're all coming from the same satanic source. Satan is just repackaged it. So we've been taking a look at shamanism now. The first thing we took a look at is the definition. Basically, just like voodoo, the whole goal is to get demon-possessed. The shaman wants to get demon-possessed so they can supposedly help people, etc., etc., into these altered states of consciousness and connects with the spirit world. Of course, they don't call them demons because that's too obvious. And they, they relabel them just like voodoo does. But that's really what's going on. And so we begin to take a look at, well, wait a second. Well, how do they get into that stuff? The practitioners of shamanism. Well, as you can see, one of the ways they do it is with drugs. Okay? Drugs, including marijuana. Right? And that's what Satan does. He takes, just like voodoo, he takes shamanic practices. He relabels them. Maybe even throws some Christianese on it. And people fall for it every single time. Okay? Including the drug of uh, with the uh, marijuana, right? People today think it's perfectly fine. No, that is one of the top drugs that still to this day shamans use to get them connected with demons. Ultimately, the goal is to get possessed, right? People are being duped uh, with that repackaging. We also saw that if he can't get you with demonic drugs, he'll get you with uh, shamanic energy healing, alternative health care and all that stuff. It's just shamanic practices and things of that nature. Then we saw he'll also get you uh, to listen to shamanic prophecies, right? Not God told me to tell you and I got a word special. No, these people use drugs to contact demons to get their supposed visions of the future. And again, that's even going on in the church today. And then last time we saw he doesn't stop. Then he'll try to get you a shamanic dream interpreters, okay? If you and I need wisdom and direction for life, where do we go? What's the Bible say? What a concept. We go to the Bible. That's why we got the Bible, right? Uh, your word, Psalm 119.05, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So if I need direction, if I need wisdom, if I need help, where do I go? I go to God's word. But no, no, not today. Shamanic dream interpretation is all over the place, not just for shamanism, uh, but in the church today. And you hear people say, well, God used dreams in the past. Well, the key word was in the past. Hello. Hebrews 1.1 again says, in the what? Past. Key word there. God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. He did use dreams in the past. But guess what? I don't need it today because I got the Bible. Because in these last days, he's spoken to us through what? His son. Where is the words of his son, Jesus Christ, recorded for us? It's the Bible. So I don't need none of that stuff. And God doesn't need to use any of that stuff. It's called a closed canon. That's it. I got everything I need. You can't dupe me if I just read the Bible and stick with the Bible. But
But that's not what's going on today. We saw it's not just in the world, this dream interpretation. People are just infatuated with it. But even the so-called church, the church is out there launching, not read the Bible a day channels. It's what? God gave me a dream. This week he gave me this dream. That week he gave me that week. What? And it's crazy, right? And the dream interpretation, Christian so-called books about this is what it means. God's trying to tell. No, it's crazy. And then we saw they're even using shamanism, uh, dream paraphernalia, Christian dream catchers. Well, in fact, you can nine ninety nine on Amazon, right? Just because you put a cross on it doesn't make it godly. Just because you put the word Christian on, just like yoga, doesn't make it Christian. Uh, but people are being duped uh, with that. Then we saw if he can't get you with that, he'll get you with flat out shamans, mediums, and sorcerers. And again, the idea is this: these are those super spiritual people with a special calling that apparently none of us can have, right? And only they have the secret power to do all these stuff. And good thing that's not going in the church today. Yeah, including their divination tools are being today. We saw that with Bethel in the Gandalf staff vision ceremony. Remember that thing? Full on, Nicole. It's crazy, right? Oh, and by the way, I don't know if you know, but ever since that uh, shamanistic plastic that they brought into the church, uh, racism went away. Yeah, that was the claim. It's ridiculous. But then another thing that uh, shamanism, their mediums and sorcerers will be involved in is animal sacrifices. And it's a good thing that we don't see anybody bringing uh, blood sacrifices into the church and claiming it to be Christian. Yeah. Kenneth Copeland, remember we saw that? Yeah. He had that. He's doing that ritual. He's, he's cutting his hand and squeezing his blood into the, the communion cup and mixing his blood. It's sick. sick. Not just sick, it's blasphemous. Right? But that's shamanism as well. And then finally we saw that shamans are also used to get rid of a demon, to perform exorcisms. But how many guys would say that asking a demon uh, to help with demon possession from a person who's demon-possessed probably isn't going to go well? And it doesn't, and that's what we saw. It leads to deaths. A Russian boy dies during shamanistic exorcism ritual. A woman dies in healing ritual from a shaman uh, is found guilty. And so good thing that's not happening today. All these you know, secret techniques. God just says, stand firm, right? Uh, in, your, in the faith and authority of Jesus Christ, stand and resist. That's it. That's all you got to do. If, even if you are experiencing spiritual warfare, if somebody else has got a demon, it's in the name and the authority of Jesus Christ. That's it. But the church today, just like shamanism, all these techniques and whatever. And so you know what you're getting? As we saw and we ended last time, people are dying with these so-called deliverance ministries. That's not what they're telling. We saw, and even the loss. We saw news reports of people being murdered, children being murdered by these people, suffocating these kids. It's just like shamanism is sick. It's sad. And again, you wonder why. God said this in Jeremiah 9 and 10. So do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your interpreters of dreams, your mediums, or your sorcerers. How come, God? Why not? Because they prophesy what? Lies to you that will only serve to remove you far from the lands. God said, I will banish you and you will what? Perish. And that's literally what is happening to people, including so-called churches that are engaged in this. People are dying as a result. So I'm still preaching. So guess what? New territory. That's right. And speaking of territory, we're going to be all over the place, right? Because now we're going to take a look at the locations of shamanism, right? The definition, the practitioners, the practices, and now the locations. As you can see by that world map, it's hardly anywhere. No, look at that. It's on every single continent, right? On the planet, right? Whether we realize it or not, okay? And believe it or not, that's exactly what the Bible says Satan does every day. He's going all over the planet, seeing how many different ways he can hurt and harm people, including getting them involved in occult practices. But as always, don't take my word for it. Let's take a look at that passage, Job chapter 1, 
Job chapter 1. How many of you guys looking for a job? <laughs> Fantastic practical book of the Bible, but no, it's actually pronounced Job, right? How many of you guys hooked on phonics? And the first time you came across that midsection of the Bible, you pronounced it psalm. No, it's psalm. I don't know what, I don't know, but anyway, that's right. But I'm stalling time for you. You guys know why. So you can find the book of Job. You know the technique because you can't have dead air. In fact, speaking of dead air, to help me out, was two ladies in the back row. What was that noise you made again? Yeehaw. All right. Yeehaw is good enough for me. Job chapter one. We stalled enough time. All right. Uh, verses uh, 6 through 12. Let's take a look here in our uh, cowboy Bible tonight. Yeehaw. All right. Verse six, Satan. Good thing he just stays, you know, in a corner of the world and doesn't do anything. That's not what you see in the Bible, man. Watch this. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And who? Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, from what? Roaming. Where? Through the earth. And what? Going back and forth on it. He's all over the place. And then the Lord said to Satan, well, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? Have you not put a hedge of protection around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your hands. But on the man himself, what? Do not lay a finger and Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, basically, this is kind of a good news, bad news, right? The good news really is, I don't know about you, but I love this passage. He comes back again at it again, because that's what Satan does. He just looks for another opportune time, right? Uh, but in Job chapter 2. But what's the good news? Who's in control here? God. Who has to report to God? Even Satan, Right? I don't have time to get into this, but some cool things Greeking out in the New Testament. But when the scripture says that we're the uh, peculiar people of God, right? You know what the, the, the Greek literally says there, that peculiar people? No. In fact, turn to somebody and say, man, you're peculiar. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Look at you. <laughs> See, that's what we kind of think of it is, but that's not what it is, right? Watch this. It's, it's, it's two Greek words, peculiar people, right? And it's, it's to describe what's going on in the Greek. It's a dot surrounded by a big circle. And what he's really saying there with peculiar people of God is that we are God's own private possession. We are the dot. God is completely surrounding us. Listen, nothing enters the sphere of our lives without God's divine permission. And then he slaps on Romans 8, 28 and says, oh, even if I allow it to continue, just like Job learned. I'm going to turn it around for good. Isn't that awesome? And that's what's behind. You're peculiar, right? No, you're God's own private possession, right? So that's the good news. That comforts me, man, that even when things go awry, God's in control. And he isn't just in control. I know I don't see it now, but something fantastic is going to result. It's, It's phenomenal. So that's the good news. The bad news is who's out there? Who's out there trying to mess things up? Right now, you may not catch this. It says there he goes where he goes to and fro the earth. He's going back and forth the whole planet. He's roaming wherever he can. Okay, we already saw what's his character: steal, kill, destroy, trying to mess things up, lead people astray. And frankly, that's what he's been doing ever since uh, he lost Genesis 
3.15 is called the, 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 the great promise, right? That one, from the seed of the woman, after uh, Adam and Eve blew it, sinned in the garden, God said from one day, from the seed of the woman, is going to crush the head of the serpent. So Satan tried to prevent that. Obviously, that would be Jesus, Messiah to come, right? And so what did Satan do from that moment? Because he was there and he heard that promise from God. He tried to uh, get rid of humanity because if you can get hum- humanity, then you can't have somebody born from the seed of the woman to crush his head. He almost made it down to eight people with Noah's flood. God hit a restart button, bang, and mankind starts off again, right? But then God raises up the Jewish people because he's going to fulfill that promise, right? And then what's he try to do? He tried to annihilate the Jewish people over and over again, okay, with Haman, right? Uh, and with Egypt and the babies even before that and things of that nature, Right. And, 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 and again, even within the New Testament, just before uh, with, with Herod going out and killing the babies. Right. Well, Satan lost. Right. So then Jesus goes to the cross. He fulfills Genesis three fifteen, Right. Satan's defeated foe. So what's he do? He's so stinking evil. Right. Now, here's what he's been doing for the last 2000 years. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the father except through him. So you know what he's doing? He is going to and fro back and forth the whole planet, roaming wherever he can, coming up with as many different false paths than the one path to lead people to the lake of fire with him. That's what he's doing. Now, there's another neat thing that's going on here in the Hebrew. It says, you know, going to and fro, whatever. Actually, there's a, a, a kind of a, a verb tensing that's going on in the Hebrew there. Uh, it literally means quickly, fast. So he's not like going, oh, whew, that was a rough night last night. I was just a little tired. I think I'll just oh, get my momentum going this way and I'll maybe I'll go over this eventually make it my way no he's boom, boom, boom. the idea is he's going as fast as he can as far reaching as he can as many corners as he can as quickly as he can trying to launch as many different false paths to what to steal kill and destroy to hurt people to lead them astray right so that's the that's the bad news okay and that's really what's going on with shamanism and voodoo and pick your false path satan is going as fast as he can around the planet and, and they keep coming up with new ones. Did you know, we dealt with this back in our Buddhism study, which I know you've all memorized. Yeah. Preachers can dream. <laughs> but remember we saw a, the, a new religion on the planet because of Hollywood? The Jedi. There's a Jedi religion on the planet, and it's growing like wildfire. The younger generation love that because they just take that as a real meaning, right? And a lot of Buddhism is involved in that and stuff. That's why we did that in the study. But it's a new planet. So that's another thing that Satan's got out there, Right? All this selfism, all that stuff, it's all, as fast as he can, he's going everywhere he can. And this is what we're going to see, even with shamanism, right? So far in our city, you're like, well, that's probably just in a small corner of the planet and, you know, isolated instances. No, it is all over the world. Satan has gone to and fro trying to devour as many people involved in this. So we're going to break it down. We're going to start in Northern Asia. Shamanism is our first one. And it's going to be in two categories, as you can see there. So we're going to start with the first one, Siberian shamanism. Okay, Siberian shamanism. And let's take a look at that. A large group of people in Northern Asia, as you can see there. And basically what we're going to do, let me back up to the world thing here, right? Uh, We're going to start up there, as you can see, in Northern Asia. And then we're going to kind of work our way down this way and then loop up uh, to the left there and finish on North American uh, shamanism, which is basically the North American Indians and things of that nature, which is going to lead to the latest version of that, neo-shamanism. 
uh, custom tailored for the next generation. But again, we're going to start off with the Siberian one. A large group of people in northern Asia follow the religious cultural practices of shamanism, and they regard Siberia as this. And this is secular research. They consider this literally the heartland of shamanism. This is the center of it, right? And uh, let's take a look at what goes on there in that area with shamanism. Shamanism is one of the oldest religious traditions in Siberia. Its culture is still alive and well on the sacred Olhon Island on Lake Baikal. Morning prayers in Buryat, the language spoken in this part of Siberia. And this is the Republic of Buryatia's sanctuary, Lake Baikal. It's the world's deepest freshwater reservoir, a UNESCO World Heritage Site and a symbol of Russia's vast natural landscapes. Irina Tanganova has been up since 5 a.m. here on Siberia's holy mountain, Kap Burhan. Today she is meeting with fellow believers, shamans like herself, the shamans of Lake Baikal. Burhan Mountain is the ritual site for the age-old Buryat culture. Lake Baikal is our holy lake. This is where we gather our strength. Are there a lot of shamans here like you? Yes, up to a hundred. We come here because 13 khatas live here, our gods and spirits. They are strong and wish to show us their power. They appear. So as not to miss the spirit's arrival, I head off right away with Irina to the location where the indigenous peoples of Siberia hold the so-called International Shaman Conference. Irina is present at the start of the conference. She knows the customs of spirit incantation best. When the spirits descend to earth, they let their radiancy rise up again through the birch trees. When we shamans touch the birch branches, we ourselves become part of the universe. Irina is preparing the offerings. First we have milk. Then beside it I place barley, which is a mixture of biscuits, chocolates and gingerbread. Then we have a sula or candle. This combination brings luck and prosperity. Here we have vodka. We face it in the direction we think the spirits will come from. We also have placed money and cigarettes here, in case the ghosts want to smoke. The wind picks up in the early afternoon. That's how the spirits announce their presence. The shamans begin drumming to show their willingness to greet them. The slam's fate is sealed. A gift to the gods. The animal is killed with practiced skill. Now it's finally time for Irina to put herself in a trance. They begin the dance among the birch trees, where the shamans receive spirits and let them into their bodies, the spirits of the dead. Irina believes that the spirit of her late grandmother resides inside her body. She sings with her grandmother's voice. 
Yeah, it's not her grandmother. But what are we talking about here? Demon possession, full on, just like voodoo. Again, that's why I call this the indigenous version of voodoo. They go on to say there with these practices. Notice that was an international conference of shamans and that whole area possibly around the world, people come, and it's a lot more popular, unfortunately, than you think. But they said this, it is believed that as long as what you just saw, these ceremonies continue, quote, the world will go on. No pressure. No pressure to what? Keep getting demon-possessed. Wonder who came up with that lie. The people of Siberia compromise a, a comprise a variety of ethnic groups, many of whom continue to serve shamanistic practices in modern times, including Music, we'll get to that in a second. But as you could saw, just like with voodoo, very similar. What were they leaving for these people? Alcohol, remember that in voodoo? Smokes, right? Things that, tobacco, animal sacrifices, okay? But this is what? This is how they connect with the spirit world, i.e. demons, okay? But again, including music, and I didn't plan on this, but in this area of the world, we're going to deal primarily with the music aspect, just like voodoo, that clearly they use to attract demons and get possessed by demons and i quote the music or song related to shamanistic practices may listen mimic natural sounds or sometimes what's called onomatopoeia which includes animal noises such as oink right a pig says oink that's an onomatopoeia whatever meow roar a horse sound makes what that's a sick horse, man. I don't know what you guys are doing. Uh, a, a chirp, like a chirp, a bird chirp, or even a, like a, a clock, we would say tick-tock. But that's, that's what they focus on, okay? It's also known as, watch this, throat singing or overtone singing. Watch this. This is getting kind of weird. Could be another reason why you should stop smoking, or that was freaky. Was that the normal voice? Is that just a vocal technique? Was there something coming through? We'll get to that in a second. But it's that kind of guttural whatever, okay, that they use. This is shamanic music. It's all over the place, right? Uh, but some people believe that maybe that's what uh, Miley Cyrus was doing in this interview. Watch this. This is yeah, yeah. I'm serious. Watch this. The journey is usually the part that you remember anyways. Okay, but anyway, I'm joking around. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> I had to throw that one in there. Now, hey, all joking aside, uh, in all seriousness, now these songs, believe it or not, they have a term for these songs, these type of throat guttural, right? 
And they call them, I'm not joiking, they're called joiks, right? And the people who sing them are called joikers, right? So in all seriousness, uh, that's how they label that. A performer of sh- uh, shamanic music is a joiker. The sound of a joik is the same uh, that also is used in the Native American ones, which eventually we'll get into. But they're sung in two different styles, right? These joikers singing a joik. Okay, sounds like from Joyzy, but anyway, but they're not. They're from over here in Northern Asia. Uh, but uh, one of the types is sung only by young people. But listen, the other one that's called the traditional one, the joik. Listen, this is where it gets serious. You're thinking, well, that's crazy. That's hard on the throat or stop smoking or is that a demon? There's a reason why they're singing like this with the throat and the overtone, right? Quote, each joik is meant to evoke a person, an animal, or a place. And the mumbling style, quote, resembles magic spells. Now, again, I'm, I'm sure you guys got the Buddhism study memorized we did years back, but if you recall in our witchcraft study, I shared with you a pastor's report about witches coming into churches unawares. And people are in there, they're going like, oh, they must be charismatic. They're speaking in tongues. You know, that gibberish. And in that report, he said this, these witches, witches are working to a carefully laid out plan which has been operating for many years right under our noses without our even suspecting it. Some profess to be Christians, of course. They dress well, they speak well, they're usually well educated, and in some cases are knowledgeable in spiritual matters. Uh, listen, some witches appear to be content to just sit in congregations and, quote, mumble their incantations. And you think, oh, look, they're speaking, they're, which that's not even the gift of tongues, the version of gibberish. But my point is people think it's gibberish and it's not. It's biblical. If it's the gift of language, it's the true biblical one. Acts chapter 2, it's a known language, but whatever. But say, so oh, look, they're so spiritual. No, they're witches in their mumbling. They're incantations to bring down curses upon the church, the pastor. Oh, and I don't know if you remember this, but it was also to put people into a state of dullness or sleep and they couldn't focus and listen to the sermon. Going on all the time. But that's what these are. These joiks are meant to evoke a spirit. And, and at the same time, it's like casting spells. There's, there's a reason why. There's no joiking around here. Okay. Uh, and it connects them with the spirit worm. And again, this is their version of like voodoo had their own techniques with the music to get right. This is what joiking is. This is shamanism music. The intention of shamanistic music is to mimic natural sounds as well as overtone or the throat singing. Okay, uh, and also imitate sounds of like a bird or a wolf that's supposed to, quote, help the spirits of the shaman. In some seances, shamans are uh, accompanied by women who imitate these sounds. In some cases, in cultures, a reindeer calf, and that's supposed to help the ladies with fertility. Other shamans imitate the sound of a polar bear, so the shaman could transform into a polar bear, supposedly. Shamanism music also serves as a background, quote, to alter a listener's state of mind. A listener's state of mind. So not just the shaman, but when he's... Right? And we're going to see drums as a big part of that too, just like voodoo. Then it can affect the person listening to it. Satan is a master deceiver, isn't he? He's using music and all kinds of stuff. But these specific techniques are designed to attract demons and get you possessed by demons. Uh, Oral traditions say that, listen, who gave the joiks to the shamans? And I quote, the fairies and elves of the Arctic lands. Now, as we saw in our European witchcraft study, 
Okay, fairies, elves, goblins, hobgoblins, all that stuff, right? Now it's been Disney-fied and glamorized, but those were just alternative names for sprites, things of that nature, was for demons, right? And they, now it's been cartoonized, uh, certainly by Disney, but that's basically, so demons gave it to them. Many researchers believe that joiking is one of the oldest continuous musical traditions in the area, and it still goes on today. But for the younger generations, they've kind of spiced it up a little bit. Watch this modern version of a joik, right? Van Halen eat your heart out. I mean, that guy was shredding. You see that, Mark? Now, if you think that's wild, that's a modern version for the culture there. Remember we saw Voodoo had their version of MTV and it was Voodoo songs? Same thing with shamanism, as you can see. They're really pitching it to the younger generation, who, by the way, is rejecting biblical Christianity, unfortunately, just like here in America. Uh, But if you think that one's wild, and I quote, wait till you see, I'm not joking, Taiwanese shamanic folk metal music. Can't wait for that one. Okay. But this type of shamanic music is admittedly used to cast spells to attract demons and to get shamans and their listeners connected or possessed by demons, which is why during the Christianization of this area back in the day, joiking was condemned. Joiking was said to resemble, quote, magic spells. And in the 1950s, it was forbidden to be used in area schools. But in 2014, a council discussed if they should implement a total ban against the music. The proposal was shot down. And despite suppression today, joiking is strongly rooted in the culture and its tradition and has maintained and is still practiced and is used as a source of inspiration. And believe it or not, it's winning talent contests. And the judges are enthralled with this new wave of music, Right? Watch this. This is crazy.
of freaky. That's that overtone, the double kind of thing going on there. Interesting. I don't know about crying over demon music. Man, give me more of that demon. They're winning. Just, yeah, they're enthralled with this stuff. Me personally, I think those judges should have reacted to that demon music the way that these uh, judges reacted to this girl's song. Watch this one. Body girl, that should have been the appropriate response. I don't know if that was a sh- shamanic music or whatever, just a bad audition. I don't know. But, uh, but you shouldn't be crying over this stuff and immediately giving them awards. But this is what's going on. This shamanistic music is crazy with the overtones and that freaky double thing going on. And again, what are we talking about here? Music from the culture that admits it's being used to what? Not just attract spirits to demons, not just get the person possessed from demons, but the listeners. And shocker, it's being promoted. No joking around. Uh, and that's because in shamanism, the shaman is, uh, plays a more active musical role uh, in, quote, spirit possession. And I quote, uh, with music, the shaman actively enters the spirit world, negotiates with his or her helper spirit demon, and then with other spirits demons as necessary, and moves between different territories of the spirit world demons. And they even call it, quote, in case you're wondering, this is from them, not me, possession music. And it's the latest rage. Possession music. And listen, it's typically longer in dur- duration, mesmeric, just mesmerizes you. Loud and intense with climaxes of rhythmic intensity and volume to which the medium has learned to respond by entering a trance state. And when you do that, weird things happen. Like this. <laughs> But, yeah, that's Christian. Sure. Sure it is. It's repackaged, man. And I, I wasn't going to show you the whole video, but that was at the towards the end of doing this over. It was, a, it was a long progression of music, repetitive music, steady beats, and then people started popping out doing that stuff. But somehow that's the spirit of God. And I quote, Possession music is typically longer in duration, mesmeric, loud, and intense with climaxes of rhythmic intensity. You know, some of the things, that, and I agree with this, and I'm a musician, I'm not against loud music, whatever, but I've actually gone to places that I teach, uh, preached, and uh, actually, when you walk into the sanctuary, you know what's the first thing they give you? Earplugs. If you have to give earplugs out, something's wrong. Adjust your ball. I'm not against loud. I think there's an art to that, uh, and things of that nature. Uh, and, I th- you know, I think there's... But anyway, my point is, but at... at, at at the outset, if you have to give out earplugs, what are, you, what are you doing here? But this is what, quote, possession music. This is the techniques that they use. I don't think it's coincidence. In shamanism, music is played and is uh, used actively by the shaman to modulate movements, 
to change the state of a journey into the spirit world. The connection between music and the altered state of mind depends on the, listen, psychoacoustic effects. Admittedly admits that the music can have effect on your brain, okay, including opening up the spirit realm. Uh, so obviously there's much more going on to shamanistic music than meets the eye. Now, that's just the Siberian area. Let's go to the next area in our northern Asia map, and that would be Mongolian shamanism. Okay, And uh, these guys can be, like most other ones, male or female shamans. Uh, they serve as, quote, exorcists, soothsayers, officials, healers, rainmakers, or what's called aneromancers, which is basically a fancy term of one who interprets dreams. Again, what we saw the last week, God said not to listen to. Uh, They continue in present day in Mongolian culture. And in the 1990s, a form of neo-shamanism came into play in Mongolia and was created to take a more modern approach to shamanism in that area, including their version. See, we just dealt with Siberian shamanism. Now let's take a look at Mongolian shamanism and their version of the MTV channel. Let's take a look at that. Roth this time eat your heart out. That guy is just either that or again stop smoking. Now what are we talking about here? Music that is designed to attract spirits, get the person singing possessed by the spirits, demons, or the listeners. And again, they're modernizing it for their area, younger cultures, just like music is being used today here in America. Oh, but you're just a fuddy duddy. You're old fashioned. Music is just music. <laughs> There's a lot more going on with music. Uh, than MCI, including spiritually. Uh, and uh, apparently this new and improved uh, Mongolian shamanic demon music is working because some Mongolian shamans are now making a business out of the profession. They have offices in larger towns. And these businesses, a shaman generally heads the organization, performs uh, things such as healing, fortune-telling, and solves all kinds of problems. Now, Mongolian shamanism splits into two major categories. Uh, you have what's called yellow shamanism, and then you have what's called black shamanism, okay? Kind of like what we saw before, the misnomer of, well, I'm not into black witchcraft. I'm just into the white, you know, the black magic versus the white. No, it's all bad, right? And so, but these are the two main categories. You got yellow and you got black. And the same is true uh, typically where we just came from in the Siberian. But yellow shamanism is practice in Mongolia as well as Siberia, but the term yellow and yellow shamanism comes from the yellow Buddhist. Okay, it's emerging. Yellow shamanism is emerging of shamanism with 
Buddhism. And the reason why they call it the uh, yellow shamanism is because in uh, the school of Buddhism known as yellow hat, okay, is the practice that was back in the 1400s. And that was where they began to merge. So it basically became, instead of yellow hat, it became yellow shamanism. But basically it's shamanism merged with Buddhism. Okay. Now the second form as that is not uh, merged with uh, uh, Buddhism is the black shamanism. It's specifically opposed to yellow shamanism, and they admittedly quote work with evil spirits. So they don't. You know, the other one says, "Oh no, we just work with the the white spirits of the upper world and blah blah blah." These guys said, "Nah, hey, we admit it. It's but it's all bad. That's the lie." But these guys admit, "Oh no, we're, we're going after the bad ones." Black shamanism is the evil spirits. The practice of black shamanism goes back to, maybe you've heard this guy, Genghis Khan. Where did he get his power from? How was he able to conquer much of the world? It was goes back to Genghis Khan. It was practiced in defiance of Buddhism. And because he had this black satanic power base, he was able to conquer a big chunk of the planet. Let's take a look at that. In the year 1162, between modern-day Mongolia and Siberia, a ruthless leader and great conqueror was born. The King of Kings, a brutal barbarian, and the founder of the largest connected land empire the world has ever seen. His name? Genghis Khan. Genghis, together with his sons and grandsons, went to war on an immense scale, and in only 25 years, the Mongol army conquered more territory than the Romans had done in 400. By the time of his death in 1227, the Mongol Empire stretched from the Pacific Ocean to the Caspian Sea, encompassing around 10 million square miles. The empire was vast, measuring the same size as the African continent and larger than the United States, Canada, Mexico, Central America and the Caribbean islands combined, making Genghis Khan one of the most successful military commanders the world has ever known. Genghis Khan died in 1227 during his final conquest into China. According to the secret history, his last words were, I have conquered for you a large empire, but my life was too short to take the whole world. That I leave to you. He appointed his son Ogadai as his successor in the hopes that he could complete the divine mission. Now, if you're paying attention, especially the last part, his ultimate goal was to what? Take over the whole world. So this so-called divine mission using occult powers to take over the world Shouldn't be a surprise. Number one, we saw that, uh, again, back in our witchcraft study with Hitler. Hitler was not only an evolutionist and a eugenist, as we're seeing in our Klaus Schwab study. Okay, he was heavy duty into the occult. And I read to you accounts of people that were with Hitler, and he was in the corner freaking out, screaming at the demons and thinking he was probably demon-possessed. Also a big-time drug user, which also doesn't help anyway. But if you recall... With the swastika, right, Hitler brought that back from the Tibetan black Buddhist monks to Germany, and that was what he was training uh, the SS and people in, was these occult powers. And Hitler wanted to take over the world. But, so it shouldn't be a surprise, that's what Genghis Khan did involved in the, in the black uh, satanic powers. Hitler tried to do also with black satan. Remember uh, Hitler, one of the things that he had with him was that mandrake root for good luck? which was also in the Harry Potter movies and all that stuff. Yeah. It was, anyway, so we did a whole study on that. I'm sure, again, I, I digress. You've got it all memorized. Yeah, whatever. We can dream. 
You don't need to interpret that dream because that's wrong. But anyway, that can dream. But, anyway, uh, but the Bible says, guess what? The Antichrist one day is not going to seek to take over the world, uh, but he's going to do it also with uh, satanic powers. Revelation 13, 2. Now the beast, the Antichrist, which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like feet like a bear, and his mouth was like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon, Revelation 12 tells us, is Satan. So Satan gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And Paul also mentions this in 2 Thessalonians 2, 9. The coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist, is according with the work of who? Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. So Genghis Khan didn't make it. He got a big chunk of it. Uh, uh, Hitler tried to do it, uh, and he lost, but this guy's going to do it. But again, once again, it's with occult powers. It's from power empowered by Satan. But still to this day, back to the Mongolian thing, they have a reverence for this guy, Genghis Khan. Okay, They even have a shrine to him. Uh, they store mystical relics uh, of Genghis Khan. Uh, the Japanese, when they came over here, uh, over that area, they tried to uh, get rid of it. That didn't work. The communists tried to get rid of it. That didn't work. Uh, th- when the Soviet influence era ended in the 90s, uh, it basically, shamanism in this area came roaring back uh, and still to this day. Okay, but now an- another important aspect, uh, it's kind of a little side note there, another aspect of Mongolian shaman music, again, is uh, they got similar techniques, you know, with the, the guttural, the overtones, that stuff, but they're also really big on the drum, okay, in theirs uh, specifically. Okay, Mongolian drums... Uh, are supposed to represent the shaman's ancestral spirit. Okay, the the drum handle is supposed to represent that. The drum skin in Mongolian shamanism, this instrument, is made specifically from horse skin because remember, uh, like in voodoo, it's they call it mounting, when the spirit mounts, you mount the spirit, things of that nature. And so that's symbolic in that. Uh, so again, let's take a look at a modernized, new, younger audience with Mongolian shamanism. Again, the aspect with the different nature sounds, the, the guttural thing, but the usage of drums. The drums are a big part in the Mongolian aspect. Let's take a look. <laughs> That was amazing. I can't tell you the last. It probably wasn't until the late '80s. The last time I saw a horse intro like that. Anybody do that? I mean, that was that dude was just he he nailed it, nailed it. I don't know about you, but it reminded me of this other song. This was what was going through my head personally. Hello, I'm Mr. Red. 
A horse is a horse, of course, of course, and no one can talk to a horse, of course. That is, of course, unless the horse is the famous Mr. Red. Go right to the source and ask the horse. He'll give you the answer that you endorse. He's always on a steady course. Talk to Mr. Red. Maybe that's where they got their inspiration from. I don't know. I can't prove that. But enough joiking around. Let's wrap this up. Uh, <laughs> but again, what was it? Even with the, the animal noises, replicate the the joiking, and of course they they're a little bit more bigger on drums. Not that the uh, Siberian uh, music wasn't as well, but but all that's designed to what? All joiking aside, to attract demons, to facilitate demon possession. Okay, now, let me give you uh, two more things and we'll wrap it up. There are also, not just with music, but uh, shamanism and Mongolian shamanism, but all shamanism, basically, they also connect with the spirits by going on what they call a spirit journey. Okay, a spirit journey. Basically, uh, the New Age term would be astral projection or out-of-body experience. But doesn't spirit journey sound better than, hey, I'm traveling with demons? Okay, but that's what's going on. And they, uh, they do this. Uh, they allow a spirit to, quote, enter their body that they, the spirit may speak through the shaman's mouth. That's full-on possession. Uh, on such occasions, shaman controls both himself and the spirit that lodges and manifests itself through his body. So they admit they're possessed. Uh, in other cases, a shaman absorbs his helping spirit, gaining its faculties, capacities, or its powers. Full-on possession. A shaman who incorporates a, although sometimes this could happen... A hostile god, little g, or spirit, demon, may in alternating moments be in control of the situation, trying to house a raging metaphysical being within his body, or in other moments, lose control and be possessed by the being. In deep chant trances, when a shaman is oblivious to physical reality, he may then undertake what they call a spiritual journey. This is a vivid, continuous, visionary state where the shaman experienced himself in a disembodied form, flying away from the place of the seance to a distant location to visit ghosts, spirits, or gods, all demons. And it's also known as the shamanic soul flight. Doesn't that sound better? But here's the shaman explaining this next way that they get connected with demons. The ancient art of shamanic journeying was one of the first skills taught to initiates once they arrived at the secret mystery school in order to activate and expand their mystical powers. The shamanic journey uses rhythm and attention to enter a new profound state of awareness or altered state of consciousness in order to open the individual's perceptions and personally connect with the sacred spiritual dimensions beyond ordinary reality. When someone is journeying or altering their state of consciousness, what they're doing is connecting their divinity to the spirit realms, or what some refer to as the quantum field. Envision a two-way road, one going into the spirit realms and one returning back to your current place in time-space. You can travel both to and from there. If you can see your desire there, such as vibrant health, love, abundance, etc., then you can transport that same energy back to your life now. Whatever you're feeling and experiencing in the spirit realms is what you can bring back to experience in this dimension. The Mystery School initiates had to establish and maintain this connection to the spirit realms or the quantum field so that the sacred energy of the divine could help develop and activate their mystical abilities. The initiates were taught that separateness from the divine is an illusion, and we all have that spark of divinity within us. We just need to learn how to reestablish the connection to the spirit realms. 
This transformative technique to reestablish this divine connection is not limited to just these mystery school initiates, but can also be performed in our modern life. The shamanic journey is the vehicle we can use to access unlimited wisdom, power, and healing. There are truly no limits to what you can see, who you can meet, or the healing that can occur once you learn how to travel to these spiritual realms. Wow, what a deception. Uh, but did you catch what she said about our divinity? Mm-hmm. Our divinity yeah. is connecting with divinity? Mm-hmm. We're, well, well, that's a lie. But it's a good thing that people claiming to be Christians don't teach that we're divine. Let's watch this again. From the same group of people doing all this other stuff, man. Shocker. You know what else that's settled then tonight? This hue and cry and controversy that has been spawned by the devil to try and bring dissension within the body of Christ that we're gods. I am a little god. Yes. Yes. I have his name. I'm one with him. I'm in covenant relation. I am a little god. Critics, you are anything that he is yes where it's going to get big for some people get ready go go ahead email me now in that place (laughs) go ahead you tap into who you really are you know what the bible calls you it says you are a little elohim you are a little god because you are divine we got to get you acquainted with your divinity now would you please listen to me this is talking about you he's telling the gods who are the gods you are. See, I never heard that. Let me ask you this. Hello, you. Are you God's offspring? Yes. Then you're not human. So this God-like person inside of Benny Hinn right here has nothing to do with flesh and blood. He's a part of God. He's a little God walking in a, in a little body, saying in Jesus' name, God came from heaven, became a man, made man into little gods went back to heaven as a man. He faces the Father as a man. I face devils as the Son of God. Jesus said, go in my name, go in my stead. Don't say I have, say I am, I am, I am, I am, I am. Say after me, within me is a God-man. Say it again. Within me is a God-man. Now let's say it even better than that. Let's say I am a God-man. You know, why do people have such a fit about God calling his creation, his creation, his man, not the whole creation, but his man, little gods. If he's God, what's he going to call them but the God kind? I mean, if you as a human being have a baby, you call it a human kind. If, if cattle has another cattle, they call it cattle kind. So, I mean, what's God supposed to call us? Doesn't the Bible say we're created in His image? You are not the identity of who your parents created you to be. Because God says that you have the DNA of Abba. Yes. You see it, it's the divine nature of Abba, the DNA. The biggest failure in the Bible, God is. What you said? God's reason for creating Adam was his desire to reproduce himself. He was not a little like God. He was not almost like God. And Adam is as much like God as you could get. 
Just the same as Jesus, when he came into the earth, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He wasn't a lot like God. He's God manifested in the flesh. And I want you to know something. Adam in the Garden of Eden was God manifested in the flesh. God now submits himself to this principle of everything producing after its own kind. Now that's interesting because if everything produces after its own kind, we now see God producing man. And if God now produces man, and everything produces after its own kind, if horses get together, they produce what? And if dogs get together, they produce what? If cats get together, they produce what? But if the Godhead gets together and say, let us make man, then what are they producing? They're producing gods. Now, I got to hit this thing real hard in the very beginning because I ain't got time to go through all this. But I'm going to say to you right now, you are gods. Blasphemy. Blasphemy. And I would agree. What a sewer pipe of false teaching. Crazy. But we're, what is this? Shamanism. That we're divine. Our divinity needs to connect with divinity for these divine powers, etc. Blah, blah, blah. Repackaged for the church today. But back to shamanic journey. The, quote, the length of the journey depends on what you're trying to, quote, do. They say, try to make sure there's no interruptions. And when you travel, uh, be respectful, calm, and patient. Um, and quote, try not to think of it as, and I'm, I'm not joking, I'm not joking. Try not to think of it as death. Wow. But what does the Bible say about this stuff? Out-of-body experiences, shamanic journeys, astral projection, whatever you want to call them, right? Uh, as a way of means to connect with the spirit world is practicing the occult. And there's two forms, classically, of out-of-body experiences, uh, astral projection, shamanic journeys, whatever you want to call them. One's called the phase model. Watch this. And this is the technique where the person tries to find a spiritual truth by accessing a part of the mind that is shut off during everyday life. This has actually been repackaged in the church. We dealt with this in our charismatic chaos study called contemplative prayer, where basically you go into a trance-like state and your whole goal is to empty your mind of nothing, Right? And then wait for God to begin to speak through you. That's, that's the occult, right? That, that's the phase model of getting into uh, an out-of-body uh, experience. This practice is connected to Buddhism. And, quote, the belief of getting enlightened uh, is achieved by looking towards yourself. But what does the Bible say? Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? So it is futile to search for Truth within when our own very heart within is deceitful. So it's ridiculous. Now, the second model is called the mystical model, and that's a person trying to exit the body entirely and connect with the other world. That's what you were seeing in shamanism. But, of course, the body condemns this because this is witchcraft. This is sorcery, and God's got very strong words for that. Galatians 5, 19-21, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual morality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and 
witchcraft or sorcery, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And guess what? I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. God's got some strong words for this because it's occult practices. Quote, God's commands are always for our good. He commands us to, quote, stay far away from occult practices. Why? Because how dare you sit there and say that you're a child of God and he's given you everything you need, but you go to the occult for your information. Serious, serious stuff. There's a great potential that when you access the demonic world, obviously, what do they do? They lie, as we saw the last two weeks in Jeremiah, right? And you open yourself up to demons. They lie. They lie about God. They confuse our minds. So why would you do it? Now, let me give you one. For Unfortunately, this whole idea of I traveled out of my body because I'm this guy, you know, shamanism. They're these special people uh, who have these special divine powers, and only they can travel and see places and visions and, and go to places in the spirit realm that you cannot. It's in the church today. But, of course, you can't say um, astral projection, that's too, too new agey. People know that. You can't say shamanic journey because that's too obvious. But here's all you got to say. God took me to heaven. I had a vision. God took me to heaven. Like this guy. This guy is a big time. We, dealt with, we had a whole study on this guy in Charismatic Chaos. His name is Jesse Duplantis. Watch this. 1988, I was doing a, a, a revival for Magnolia Christian Center in Magnolia, Arkansas. The pastor was Paul Trochel. And I was preaching a Sunday through Wednesday meeting, a four-day meeting. And I'd had many encounters with the Lord. I've seen angels. And I had this urge to pray. Jan, I knelt down just on the side of the bed. Now, I don't know whether I was in my body or out of my body. But I heard this. And for a minute, I, I didn't quite open my eyes. I, I was sucked out of my room. Just sucked out. And I was just going. I was going. And I went, oh, like this. I mean, the only way I can interpret that as not fear but more close to it you know what i'm saying <laughs> i mean just and i realized i was i was going at a phenomenal rate of speed and all, when i opened my eyes i was in this it looks like a ski lift that was covered you know like a, a ski car but nothing and that angel that had talked to me years before smiled at me Same he way. said you have an appointment with the lord sure pal Either he just flat out lied and is making this stuff up, or if he did have a journey, it was not the Lord of the Bible. Because the things he shares with his so-called out-of-body experience, because you can't say shamanic journey, astral projection, that's too obvious. you got to Christianize it, right, if you're going to get the church, to sh- and especially if you want to give them your money. Because this guy's, only he's got supernatural powers, not like the rest of us uh, goobers. But we know it's not the Lord of the Bible because of, and I'll just, I just, well, I'm just going to hit highlights. We could be here all day dissecting his account. Uh, and this isn't the first time. He comes up with all kinds of wackadoo stuff. And again, get our charismatic chaos study. We did a whole study on But he said, he claims, he's numerous times, you just heard him say one time here, that he's had angels supposedly visit him. He said one time they filled the seats of the choir at this church facility he was at. Quote, they walked down out of the choir section, off the platform. As they walked down through, uh, everybody just fell on the floor under the power of God, except for him, he was left standing. Uh, he gives no reason for the angels manifesting themselves. They brought no message from the Lord, which is what the word angel means, angelas messenger 
of the Lord, right? Uh, there's, and there's, their only mission was apparently to slay people in the church except for Jesse, which again, this whole slaying in the spirit, we did a whole study on that's not even biblical. So an angel supposedly from God would do something unbiblical and then wouldn't even give a message from God, which is their very name, their purpose. It, it, either this guy's lying or what he's seen is not coming from God. Also in his Close Encounter DVDs, he says, quote, the angel of the Lord was leading him to see the great Jehovah and Jesus. Uh, the angel of the Lord in the Bible is Jesus, according to the Bible. So how could the angel of the Lord, Jesus, take you to see Jesus? Oops. Right? He said his trip to heaven, he said that heaven is a planet. His version is more like Mormonism. If you guys remember our study on Mormonism, right? You got it memorized like the other ones? Yeah. He also said that people in heaven, listen, are weak and will have to work to make themselves ready to stand in the presence of God in heaven. What? Who makes us ready for heaven? Jesus Christ. You don't, now I got to work in heaven? What? what? Total heresy. He also said he met King David and said this. And this is what David supposedly said to Jesse. He said, I think I should have allowed more of the answer to come through. He was talking about all the songs that he came up with, the Psalms. I should have allowed more uh, of the answer to come through instead of the complaining. I wish I had written more songs about God's answers than about my problems. Supposedly from David. So what does that mean? David was not inspired? And yet we have David's songs written for, does that mean part of this is not inspired or God got some of it wrong? If he got some of it wrong, why can we, this is a serious issue. And one guy says this, so if David was wrong in what he wrote, then so was God. There are so many problems with Duplantis' so-called journey to heaven that one could only put in the category of a fable or dare I say, I'll add a lie. Or if he did see something, it was not the Lord of the Bible. Because God doesn't contradict himself. And what did Jesus say in Matthew 24? Watch out in the last days that no one, what? Deceives you. First thing out of his mouth. Deceit, deceit, deceit. Right? Right? But an out-of-body experience, shamanic journey, astral projection, Jesse's trip to heaven. Hey, I don't care if it sells books. It's not godly. Right? What does God say? In fact, what did Jesus specifically pray for us? I'll quote it to you. John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. If only I could find out the truth. If only, no, maybe I need to listen to this music, get to an altered state of consciousness. No, maybe I don't. And then all of a sudden, I, God's spirit spoke to me to tell you to tell me to tell him. Or like, wait, no, I had this vision. God's angel came to me and he told me. I, I, I flew up in this elevator thing that looked like a ski lift. And God told me to tell the rest of you. Oh, I'm sorry. What's it say? Your word is the truth. Jesus prayed. For us, God, sanctify them, grow them up, get them strong in the Word, the Bible. Not all this other stuff. All this other stuff, folks, they just Christianize again. If it's not witchcraft, if it's not voodoo, if it's not Satanism, selfism, that's Satanism, it's shamanism. And somehow we're told that we need that over the Bible. I don't think so. But hey, that's just the first location. The next location is European shamanism. Okay, and uh, but we're out of time, so let's pray.
Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple of things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven. I need a savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. You, the, the word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified us that disqualified us for heaven right and we've actually seen this work in real life 
Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judge has said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive his pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what he was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave, and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly, and please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.